Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. Hello folks, Stan Bird here on Sunday, February 19th, uh, sitting in while Zuber is away um, for our regular Sunday market review. I want to go through a few things from last week and uh, CPI number in particular and how the market reacted to that. And we'll take a look at um, some of the bear markets that we've seen in the past and where we might be headed or whether we may be coming out of a bear market. So let's jump into it. I'll start off with my newsletter. Uh, anyone, uh, let's see, share my screen. So anyone that um, has received my newsletter, you, you probably saw some of this that I just sent out last week, or actually yesterday and this morning. But this is basically what it looks like if anyone's interested in joining. There's no charge for this. This is just something that I do basically on my own. I was sharing it with family and friends. And then uh, as I started talking with Zuber, started sharing it with folks from his channel as well. Uh, and if you find it useful, great. If you want to be taking, taken off at any point, just let me know. It's not a problem. I'll just remove you. And that's pretty easy to do. But it's basically there's a few cartoons that I include. Um, and then some information about the market, what the market's done and where it might be headed. Last week, I showed this Fed funds curve based on the CPI number, which I'll talk about here in a few minutes. The, um, the curve actually went up. So CPI came in hotter than expected. I kind of predicted that last week. I thought that's what, what would happen. PPI also came in hotter. So both of those numbers came in a little higher. Part of that reason, and this, uh, is a credit to one of the listeners here that alerted us, actually put it on the YouTube channel, that they changed the way they calculate CPI, which actually would make it look higher this time. And this month was the first time that they reported using the new calculations. And that's pretty much what happened. So now they're looking, instead of this red curve where they thought the Fed would pivot sometime in the summer of 23, they're still expecting that to happen, maybe more towards the fall of 23, if you look at the blue line. But the nominal rate looks like it's going to end up being higher than what was expected. So what that could mean is a 50 basis point raise in March and maybe even another 25 before they get to the point of leveling off. Now, the Fed has said and their, their rhetoric has said that they're going to level off and stay straight across here for quite a long time. But the market expects them probably because they're going to cause inflation, I mean, in cause recession. We'll talk about recession here in a minute as well. Um, because they're going to cause recession that the Fed will actually pivot before that. They won't say that though. The Fed won't talk about that. The other thing that I talked about in the middle of the week was the max pain analysis. This is something that earnings beat does. They look at um, the equilibrium point of all the options of where they equalize. And sometimes that means the market may go up on options expiration, which happened last Friday. 
Sometimes it means the market may go down, which is actually what happened on Friday. But if you look at this, this is a, a week earlier. So one week before that, we look at the SPY, which is the S&P. It was at about 408. And max pain or the equilibrium point indicated a price of 398. Now, why would that happen? The market makers out there are responsible for making a market on both sides. So if people are buying, they have to be selling. And if people are selling, they have to be buying in order to make sure that there's a, a market that can be traded. So it's to the benefit of the market makers if everyone has been buying calls, meaning they, they're thinking the market is going to continue higher, then in order for the market makers to not have to pay out as much money, they are always going to make money, but for them not to have to pay out as much money, it's to their benefit that the market actually comes down and forces those options to expire worthless by options expiration Friday, which was last Friday. And that's what this really means. This is really the equilibrium point. Now, one thing, and I actually put the actual numbers in here. So one thing that this tells me in looking at this is that I don't think there's a whole lot of value in trying to understand where the actual price is going to end up. So if we look at Meta, for instance, if we look at Tesla, Tesla actually ended up higher than what Max Payne predicted. Max Payne thought it would be about 159 or 160, ended up 197, actually higher than the previous week's close. Meta ended up lower, but not significantly lower. And most of these, if you look at them, yes, they were lower, but not significantly lower. Apple actually was pretty much exactly the same as the week before. And that's the case in all of these. There's a few where it actually went higher. Booking.com went significantly higher. The only one that actually ended up where the, the Max Payne um, suggested it would be is Adobe. Adobe went down to 352 from 370. And the Max Payne number was 352. So that's the only one that actually ended up pretty much where it said. The other ones, yes, they went down. So I think Max Payne is helpful to understand direction. So from the 10th until the 17th, the direction of the market was down. So you can kind of imply that though. If you think about it, and if you think that market makers are going to want to have expire, uh, options expire worthless, if the market had been rising before that, then it makes sense that the market needs to fall in order for the market makers to do that. So you can kind of figure that out all on your own. You don't really need a Max Payne report like this. And looking at the actual numbers, I don't think it's very useful. It hasn't really indicated exactly. You probably could have made a little bit of money on some of these, but not significant amount of money. But it's more important for direction. So for that reason, I probably won't do the Max Payne report again. I might mention it when we get to options expiration and just say, hey, the market's been going up, so expect a reversal next week, or the market's been going down, so expect it to bounce back next week. Whatever the market's been doing, options expiration week typically does the opposite. So just keep that in mind. Um, the next one I want to show, and I showed this last week as well, these are the last three CPI reports. So this goes from December. You can see the previous number was 7.7. .7. The forecast was 7.3. So they were forecasting a negative 0.4. It came in at 7.1. So it actually went down 0.6. It went down more than forecast. 
So that's green. I put that in green. In January, and hopefully you'll see a trend here. In January, the um, number was 7.1, the number from December. The forecast was 6.5, 0.6% drop again. And that's actually what happened. It dropped by 0.6. So they didn't come in lower or higher. They came in at exactly where the forecast was. So I put that in blue. But then if you look at February, February 6.5, which was from January, and the forecast was 6.2, or a drop of 0.3%. However, came in hotter, 6.4%. So it came in down 0.1% from the previous month, but higher than the forecast. So if you look at each of these based on the, the results, based on the what it was forecasted, or actually the actual results, it came down 0.6% here, which was better than forecast, came down 0.6% here. This is green, this is blue. This is exactly what was forecast. Came down 0.1% here. So all of these are, are coming down. So inflation is coming down. But the most recent one in February came down less than what they were forecasting. So that one I put in red. So you can see the trend here is inflation kind of leveling out. For that reason, I think the Fed is probably going to go to 50 basis points in March rather than the 25 that everyone was expecting previously. This is uh, this is the chart that I showed earlier in the week as well. This actually shows the rate of change for the CPI report. So each of these, since CPI is monthly, these are only monthly bars. And you can see starting back here in May of 2020, we went to a blue bar and then we had green all the way up until we get to peak inflation in June. And then inflation started to moderate, started to actually drop off. And you can see it dropping off here with the 12-month rate of change. This is disinflation. So disinflation means in the inflation rate is declining. Deflation would mean that the inflation rate was below zero. We've got a long way to go before that would happen. That would be very dangerous for the economy to go to deflation. The pink line is the 2% point where the Fed would like it to be. So we've been in deflation since peak inflation in June, but it's sort of leveling off here. And you can see the monthly rate of change is starting to climb a little bit. But the important thing to notice on this is that the next report, the one that comes out in March, when that one is reported, if we get something that's starting to either, even go, it might go up a little bit, or even if it continues to come down a little bit, the one that drops off from 12 months ago is a really big jump. It's a big jump right here that's gonna drop off in March. So that is going to make the rate of change look dramatically lower, all things being equal. Assuming that inflation does not continue to go up and gas and oil has actually started to go up and beginning to come back down again, I'll show you that in a minute. But this big drop right here is going to be a big benefit and it's going to probably show a rate of change that's gonna be much greater than what's expected. So I'm expecting a better than expected report next month, but then the next one after that is a very small one that's gonna drop off. So that again might cause it to, to moderate or go sideways a little bit, so we'll see. But the one in March looks to me like uh, we might get a pretty good number in March. So I wanna jump over to the charts real quick and talk about this one. This is the chart that I use to determine whether our, we are still in a secular bull market or we are transitioning to a secular bear market. 
So secular means long-term. Secular bulls typically last about 18 to 20 years. And this one started either, you could start it in 2009, which was the bottom when everything started coming back up. Or 2013 is actually the correct place from a technical standpoint, because that's where we made a new high. We got above this 12-year secular bear market back here that started in 2001, and we never never exceeded the high. Went in, here in 2008 is when it started down again. Never got above that 2001 high until 2013. So if you calculate 18 to 20 years from either of these, you end up with about 2029 to 2033, somewhere in that range for the secular bull market to continue. And I'm looking for each of these three components here. So these are all still green. Uh, we came down in the recent low in October, came close to it. The, um, we came, we didn't really get too close to the zero line on this momentum indicator. And then this one here is the 50 month, this red line, 50 month moving average that we never closed below all the way back here in 2012 when we got above it. And definitely since 2013, we've never closed below this line. We got close to it again in October, but you see there, it just bounced right off of it. So what I'm looking for is for us to go back and take out this previous high in order to confirm that the secular bull is continuing. If we go up here and we do not take it out, and then we go back down and make a lower low again, something below this October low, then that will indicate that we are in a secular bear market. And if we are, that could last another 12 years. Um, but right now, it's not implying that. Let me jump back to the slides for a second, because this is something that somebody asked me um, on my newsletter. You know, how long do cyclical bears last versus secular bears Secular bears last about 12 years. You can see here the secular bears that are inside a secular bull. So even though you have a long-term bull market, that doesn't mean there won't be bear markets inside of them. And you can see the one that we're in now, the, the bear market, uh, the, the range of this is determined from the high, which was in beginning of January, to the low, which was October. So 10 months so far for this bear. If we go back down below 3491, which was the low in October, then this number would increase, would start going up again. But we have to break through that low for that to happen. So the blue one is the percent decline, 38% decline for the S&P so far. Right now it is still a cyclical bear because we are still in a confirmed secular bull at this point. And then the last one here, these, this, uh, kind of visually shows you all of the secular bears in green and red. This goes all the way back to 1929. So you can see there have only been three secular bears in 100 years and only three secular bulls in 100 years. So these are long-term secular markets. The, the um, bear markets that are inside this particular bull that we are in right now you can see there were two, three bear markets, and this one that we're in now is, ten, is uh, four. So 2011 was five months long, 2018 was three months long, 2020 was very fast, two months. This one's been a 10 month uh, bear market. But you can see in secular, secular bears, how long they last, 1731. Here's the one from 1970 to 1982. And the one that was the Great Depression back here. The secular bears that are inside of secular bulls 
you can see there's three months, three months, two months, eight months. The longest one was 14 months here from 56 to 57. So we right now are at 10 months. Um, if we go back down and take out that low at 3,500, then this would increase. You know, we could still go to 14 and, and not break the record. So we're still in a cyclical bear market inside of a secular bull market. And there's the percentage declines here. So 38% and 35% was the one for the COVID crash, 20 and 22. I'm looking at just the um, cyclical bears inside of secular bulls. So here's one that was 36% from 87. That was the 87 crash. And down here, 29% was the worst one. So we are flirting with uh, numbers that are, are actually great. This is actually greater than any of the other cyclical bear markets. So it's important that we stay above this 3491 point. Hopefully that explains that a little bit better. I'll, I'm going to put this in the newsletter next week. Again, I put it in before, but it, it's worth revisiting that one. Uh, let's go back to the charts for a second and take a look at our sectors and see how they did. Now, last week when I did this, all of the aggressive sectors were on the top. And this week it's flipped around. So now we've got consumer staples, utilities, and healthcare are now on the top as of Friday. So these are the defensive sectors. So the market uh, has the, the um, sense of the market is now flipped to more of a bearish stance. Uh, technology is down here near the bottom. Energy is completely falling apart. It's at the bottom as well. Communication services is a little bit better than the S&P. So it's slightly outperformed even though it's negative. And consumer discretionary also has slightly outperformed. But if we look at this on a one week basis, you can now see that uh, consumer discretionary and communication services for the week actually did pretty well, even though technology is still underperforming for the whole week. But energy is still way down here for the week. So that implies to me that we are, we are moving towards uh, more downward pressure the VIX is kind of confirming that as well. So I showed this last week that the VIX has now started to move up above these moving averages and turning red right here. We had a little bit of a reprieve, but it's starting back up again. So it's still below 20, which is good. It needs to be below 20 to, to still be a positive uh, direction for the market, but it's starting to move back above 20. The most important part of this is the 10-year treasury down here at the bottom. So you can see the 10-year treasury was down here, was actually below 3.5% pretty much all of January. In January, we had a really nice run, really nice rally in January. But as this 10-year treasury starts to move higher, it impacts growth stocks and technology stocks in particular. Now, right now, it's right at the peak right here. So it's right at a resistance point. So we'll see what happens next week. We'll see if it starts to come back down. It just started to on Friday or it breaks through this resistance and starts back higher and goes back up to the high back here in October. So what we'd like for, to see is for this to start to decline again. With rates now uh, predicted to move higher than expected, that's why this is probably going to move higher as well. Here's the rates. So you can see here, uh, this is the commodities chart, kind of shows you some of the things that uh, go into the inflation number. Um, you can see here this gray area that's shaded is what the, the CPI report that was just reported last week was based on. And you can see from the beginning of January to the end, 
the CRB, which is made up of these commodities, actually ended up pretty much stable and went up a little bit. But gasoline, oil was almost the same, a little bit higher. Gasoline was definitely higher in January, and lumber was much higher in January. So those were some of the contributing factors in addition to them changing the calculation that caused the CPI and the PPI to come in higher than forecast. And that caused the market to start to decline. And you can see up here that the market is right at that 21 day moving average, which is the reversion to the mean. I'll show, show a better view of this in a second. So far in February, you can see that we've started higher again. So gasoline is actually higher than it was in January. Oil is a little bit lower. Lumber is definitely coming down and the rest of these commodities are lower as well. So gasoline is the big one that we need to watch here in the next few weeks to see how it does uh, into the end of February. That, that'll be a good predictor for what those CPI numbers might come in at in uh, March. The other thing that we have to watch is the jobs number in March. If that comes in hot again, 500,000 in January, which is a little suspect, but if that comes in at a very high number again, that's gonna be more fuel for the Fed to continue to raise rates. This is the um, Keltner channel. So this kind of gives you uh, the, the extremes of the market. And you can see that the market actually went, this is the S&P, actually went to the three times level here in the beginning of January, or I'm sorry, beginning of February. It very rarely ever stays up that high. When it gets that high, it will usually revert to the mean, which is this dotted uh, blue line right here, which is exactly what it did. It came back down the blue line, it bounced off of it, got up into the 2x area, and now we're right back to that area again. I think there may be a good chance that we get down to the 4,000 level, which I'll show you here in a second um, in this next chart. So this one I showed last week too. Uh, this one here shows the current S&P Fed funds rate up here. There is a uh, reverse head and shoulders pattern that is, has formed, but it has not confirmed yet. In order for it to confirm, it needs to get above this neckline. So the market needs to break out of this neckline, hopefully get up to around 4,300 for this to confirm. And if it does, the target then would be back to the high, 4,800. However, you can see that we've bounced off of this neckline and started to move back lower. We went down to the 21 day moving average. And uh, I can't really change this cursor. That's something that people have asked can you change the cursor? And I don't think there's a way that I can do that other than over here. So uh, you can see right now, the 21 day is at 40.77 and the market ended at 40.79. So right at that uh, blue line, the 21 day. However, if you'll notice these Fibonacci levels and I've circled two of them that converge using the distance from the previous high all the way down to this low here in October. And then the second one is from this high in August down to the low in October. These both converge at two places. One is the 4,300 level. So that becomes a very important resistance. The other one is at the 4,000 level. Both of these converge right here. So 4,000, which is also almost where the 50-day moving average, 50-day right now is that 39.77 and rising. So this will continue to rise. So I'm looking at that 4,000 area as a really important resist or a support level that needs to hold. If it does not hold, then we could very likely go back down, maybe even test the lows down here again. So we need to be watching this right now 
the, the indicators, the momentum indicators are starting to roll over, but they are still shallow. So we'll see what happens. To continue on that theme, I'm going to jump over to VectorVest. And then I wanna talk about something in VectorVest as well. That was a, a suggestion from one of the uh, listeners that I'm going to include in next week's newsletter. Um, so this is the VectorVest chart. This is what they call the um, detrended price oscillator. And what they are looking for, you can see here, there is a, a buy signal right here. And that buy signal, um, let me turn this off. That buy signal has been in place since January 10th. This is a pretty reliable signal when the, when the uh, market changes. You can see the sell signal came in here in December 5th, on December 15th and lasted until January 10th. So if you had got out of your positions around that point, then you would have saved yourself all of this pain here and then got back in right here. And it is still showing a buy. For this to change to a sell, the market needs to be below this 30-day moving average, which right now it's sitting right on it. And this detrended price oscillator needs to drop below zero. And it's still a good ways away. There needs to be some significant down days for that to happen. However, the MACD is also crossing over to the downside, which confirms or reinforces the, the momentum change. It's, it's still kind of paralleling each other though. So it's sort of flat, which doesn't really give it a lot of power with this new down signal. But again, I think based on, let me bring this back to a six month. And you can see the line that I drew from the low in October across the lows here in December up to where we are right now. And then another uh, support resistance line right across this high right here. And both of these converge right at that point. So if I go back to a three month again, and I turn on the vector vest support resistance, watch what happens with this particular line right here. Now this is using vector vests um, idea of where the support should be. And you can see support is right at that purple line, almost exactly at that purple line. So that's, I think is where we're going to. And if you translate this to the S&P, that's that 4,000 area that I showed you before where both of those Fibonacci levels converge. And these two support lines right here are converging at the same place. So I think there is a good chance probably next week because we have some important reports like GDP coming next week. Um, there's a pretty good chance I think that we get down to 4,000 on the S&P. Now with the few minutes that I have left, I wanna talk about something that uh, one of the listeners suggested. And I think it's a, actually a pretty good idea. In my newsletter, um, which is right here. So this is next week's economic calendar. You can see the GDP report. Uh, Monday is a holiday, so we won't lose any money on Monday. GDP report is on Thursday. Right now it's forecast to be flat, 2.9, but 2.9 is still pretty strong. Uh, initial jobs, jobless claims are forecasted to go up slightly. Um, you want that to start going up. So if that comes in hotter, that won't be good. And then PCE, <clears throat> this is an important one next week because this is the number that the Fed really looks at. This not only talks about the price of 
the consumer prices and the producer prices, which is the CPI and the PPI. But it takes all that into account and then projects what the what people are actually willing to spend on different components of the CPI. So this isn't just whether or not those components are going up or not, but it's are, are consumers willing to spend money on those components? And that's what the Fed really looks at. So right now, this is actually forecast to go up slightly. If it goes up more than that, it's going to be another reason for the Fed to go to 50 basis points and another reason for the market to sell off if that happens. So next Friday is a really important number to look at. Um, this is all in my newsletter. So I'm just give you an example of what this looks like. Uh, this is the treasury yield. So I talked about that as well. Um, right now it's right at a resistance point. So we'd like to see this to start to drop, but based on those numbers coming next week, if, if it just reconfirms that the Fed's gonna continue raising rates, this could break through this and start heading back to the high. Um, so that's an important important one to watch there. This is the NASDAQ 100, also right at its 21-day moving average. Um, here's the yield curve. I talked about this earlier in the week. Uh, the yield curve, everyone on CNBC is talking about it. You know, the yield curve is inverted, and that means that a recession is coming, which is true, and it's a pretty good predictor of recession. But it's important to understand that a recession does not start until six to nine months after the yield curve is no longer inverted. After the yield curve starts to go positive, six to nine months later is when the recession happens. And you can see here, this is from the time the yield curve reached its, its uh, peak point, took 23 months to get to a recession, 13 months here, 19 months here, nine months here. So just because it's inverted, which it is right now, doesn't mean the recession is imminent. It does not also predict how deep or long the recession will last. So it could be a very short recession. Um, so this is all from VectorVest. I'll, I'm gonna talk about that VectorVest in a second. Um, this is what February looks like. So you can see right here, we're right here. This is options expiration that happened on Friday. You can see historically going back to 1950, the rest of February basically doesn't look too good. The dotted lines are really where we are right now because this is pre-election years and we are in a pre-election year. So it's actually a little bit better than the, the overall general direction, but still mostly down for the rest of the month of February. Uh, and then in my newsletter, uh, I'm not sure that folks have tried this, but you can click on any of these charts and you can save these to your favorites. And these will basically show you Here's the VIX chart that I show often. So these will show you what the um, what those things look like, and then all of these books, book recommendations. So one of the things that one of the um, listeners suggested is they, that I put down here as a regular feature in the newsletter, and I probably will put it right above those those charts right here, in right in this area. Something about the dividend stocks. So a search on dividend stocks that are performing well, that their dividends have increased and are continuing to increase, and they have good fundamentals. So what I did was I created this search, and I'm gonna actually show you how VectorVest works, some, some features of it. I created the search to find good dividend paying stocks. So a dividend yield of 1.2 or higher. 
the average of all the stocks in this database that have dividends is 1.2. So I want something that's greater than that. A growth rate of 8% or more. The average in the database is 8%. So I want something that's growing faster than the average. I want an earnings yield that's greater than two times the dividend yield. If you have a dividend yield that's, that's much lower than the earnings yield, then that's not a safe dividend. So I want an earnings yield um, for their earnings to be twice as much as the dividend yield. I want dividend safety to be greater than 50%. So in the top 50% of all of the stocks for safety, VST is the technical designation for value, safety, and timing. That's the VectorVest uh, designation that they typically sort all of their stocks on. I want that to be greater than one. Uh, stock value greater than the stock price. Stock value takes into consideration uh, what an investment in um, long-term treasury bonds would, would uh, provide you versus this particular stock. So I want it to be the, the value higher than the stock price. And then the gross, growth rate of their dividends greater than 20%. So better than 20% growth rate, uh, not dividends, I'm sorry, earnings greater than 20% growth rate for earnings and average volume greater than 100,000. So that's the sort that I created. So when I run this sort, this is what it produces. And it's sorting it based on earnings yield minus two times the dividend yield. And here's what it gives me. Jackson Financial, which by the way, one of the listeners alerted me to, and I went and researched it and it actually came up at the top of this list, which is interesting. So I actually bought this one, but probably will add more to it. But this is the list. You can see there are buy recommendations, sell recommendations, hold recommendations. You can see the earnings growth, sales growth. I also want sales growth to be positive. Um, here's the VST. Uh, what sector is it in? So if you are building a portfolio based on dividend paying stocks, you wanna try to diversify. So this will show you all the different sectors. You want to try to pick some from each sector or don't be too overly weighted in each sector. Or if you do want to be overly weighted, take a look at the sector view that I just showed you in stock charts and try to keep your weightings uh, consistent with the sectors that are improving. So that's what this looks like. This is what I'm going to put in the newsletter each week. I'm going to put in this list and actually what I can do is I can create a portfolio I'm gonna create a portfolio of all of these stocks. Oh, it's a limit of 100. All right, there's 464 in here. So let's take the top 50. Top 50 stocks in this list. And now I can create a portfolio and we'll call it dividend stocks. And we're looking at longs. And now it's going to create a portfolio for me. <clears throat> so when I open that portfolio, it will show me all of these stocks. Starting from today, it will show me how this is performing over time. Um, it, uh, the nice thing is it shows you their earnings dates. So Jackson Financial has an earnings date of March 1st. So it might be important to know that. You can then sort this in, di in different ways, different criteria. But one thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to actually put this list, top 50 stocks, each week and folks can 
choose to do what they want with it. Um, the other thing that I can do, and I'll do this as well each week, is I've created another search using the same criteria, except in this case, I'm looking for ones that have just changed to a buy. So I've just I'll show you the terminology here. So today it's a buy recommendation, but yesterday it was not. So yesterday it was either a sell or a hold, but today it is now a buy. And it gives me these three charts right here. So each week I'll put in whatever the whatever the ones were and actually what I'm going to do to make this a little more accurate. I'm going to say rather than one day ago, let's say one week ago, it was, it was not a buy. It was either a sell or a hold a week ago. Now let's see what this gives me. So there's quite a few more stocks. So all of these stocks were not a buy last week, but this week they are. So that means they are just beginning to move higher. And I'll save that search. So each week I'll put this list in there. Um, for anybody that wants to build a dividend portfolio, I'm not suggesting that these are the ones you should buy. I'm suggesting that you should use this as a starting point and do your research. I can't make recommendations on what you should do, but this at least gives you a starting point to take a look at stocks that look like they're performing well. And more importantly, their dividends, you can see over here, the dividend information. So dividend growth, dividend safety, you know, these are all above, should all be above 50%. Dividend growth, these are all above 8%, which is the average. So if you want to look for ones that have the highest dividend growth, service first service bank over here, or you can look for ones that have a dividend yield, the highest yield, this one up here, Ramico Resources has a 4.72 yield. So any way that you want to take a look at this and start build a portfolio, and each week you'll see the ones that have actually moved to a buy status. Um, oftentimes a buy status can be an indicator that it will continue higher. So you can see right here, right up here, it just went to a buy. Over here is a sell, hold, hold, buy, hold. And then within this last week, it just went to a buy again. So it's starting to move higher. So this is one way to, to take a look at dividend stocks. Just wanted to point that out to everybody. And that's pretty much it for today. Let me show the newsletter one more time for those that would like to subscribe. There's no charge for this. Just send me a note to breakpointtrading at gmail.com and I'll add you to the list. I'll send you last week's newsletter. And uh, then if you wanna be taken off, no problem at all, I'll just take you off. And uh, hopefully uh, Zuber is having a great time somewhere over there on the other side of the world and maybe back in the next couple of weeks. And so maybe we'll, we'll have an interactive show once again with Zuber. Uh, I will be posting a, a show, uh, a YouTube on this YouTube channel on Wednesday, if I can, in the middle of the week just to give you a sense for what the week's looking like. So that's it for today. Breakpointtrading at gmail.com. If you'd like to be added, just let me know. And thanks for watching and participating. I appreciate it. And thanks for everybody's uh, comments on YouTube, as well as some of the uh, emails that I get from folks that are getting the, the newsletter, sometimes asking for um, information on a chart or giving me suggestions on some things to do, which have been really great suggestions. So I appreciate that from the folks that are watching. So thank you very much and have a great week trading.